0: This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalam institute. wa alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So alhamdulillah, we're continuing our series on the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam Asirat to nabawiyah the prophetic biography. In the previous, maybe four sessions, we talked about the journey of the Prophet ﷺ to the city of Al-Ta'if. When it happened, why it happened, what was the Prophet ﷺ's thought process behind it, and then what actually transpired on the trip and the journey. And not only that, but then what was the aftermath of that trip and that journey. And in the course of talking about all of this, we're at a very critical juncture in the Prophethood, in the mission of the Prophet ﷺ in his life. So this is now well into the 11th, almost 12th year now. So once the Prophet ﷺ, so he travels to a ta'if in the 11th year of prophethood, he returns back, settles back in, settles back down. We of course talked about the very interesting experience where he found a very unlikely ally in Mut'im, um, in Adi bin, Mut'im, uh, Mut'im bin Adi and how the Prophet ﷺ was able to receive protection from a from a non-believer, from a very unlikely ally, and the Prophet ﷺ was able to safely enter back into Makkah, return back home, and settle back down at home. Now some time went by thereafter, and one of the things that's very important to understand here now, now we're well into the 12th year of prophethood. So it's been 12 years since the Prophet ﷺ received divine revelation. It's been 9 years since he started preaching and teaching the message of Islam publicly and openly. From the top of, you know, from the mountaintop if you will. And it's been, if you document what has happened and how long it's been going on, it has been 7 years. 7 years since a 100... Believers, a hundred of the first believers in the city of Mecca left Mecca and went to Abyssinia, migrated to Eastern Africa, Habasha, and had been residing there now for, for seven years. It had been five years since the very tragic and infamous boycott started, and it's been almost you know two and a half, three years since it's ended. And very personally, at a very personal level for the Prophet ﷺ, it's been a year and a half since the passing of his uncle Abu Talib, who was basically his entire family, and his beloved wife of over 25 years, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala it's been a year and a half since he lost the two most important people to him. And on top of that then, it's been maybe about six months Since he ventured outside of Mecca for the very first time to see what response awaited him and his message outside of Mecca, only to be met with rejection and brutality. So the Prophet is sitting here at a very, very critical juncture, extremely overwhelmed by the circumstances. I mean, he has taken so many hits. In such major, major hits. Any one of these major hits would have just grounded us, would have floored us, would have done us in. But the Prophet has taken multiple hits, one after another. And he's still going, he's still persisting, he's still surviving. He's relying and depending upon his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's getting him through. But at the same time, you also have to understand that at a human level, he's being beat down. And so, there were some small instances of reprieve and relief that came divinely, such as the instance where even on the journey back from a taif the Prophet ﷺ is just simply praying his qiyam, his tahajjud prayers. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends him down, divine revelation telling him, وَإِذْ صَرَفْنَا إِلَيْكَ نَفْرًا مِنَ الْجِنِ al Quran." A group of jinn came and just heard you reciting Qur'an, they believed and they went back to their people and they're now they're now preaching and teaching the Quran on your behalf amongst the jinn. So that was lifting the spirits of the Prophet. You went to Ta'if to give to share this message with human beings? Well they might not have listened or accepted, but guess what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave guidance to a group of jinn. This is in the hands of Allah. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ is waiting outside of Mecca, very anxious, the believers are very nervous about how will he enter back into Mecca when Abu Jahl is seizing this as an opportunity to make a very serious move against the Prophet ﷺ. And what happens? Mutaim bin Adi, who is a very staunch opponent of the Prophet a leader of his people, absolutely grants the Prophet wasallam full and complete and total protection, and in fact draws his sword in defense of the Prophet wasallam So there were a couple of small things. But you still have to understand that the Prophet wasallam had been going through a lot. It is at this point, at this juncture, about maybe a year and a half before the Prophet wasallam would actually leave Mecca and migrate to Medina. It is at this point in time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed one of the greatest gifts and blessings upon the Prophet One of the greatest experiences that any human being has ever had. And that was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted the Prophet the experience, the journey of al-isra wal al-mi'raj. Al-isra means to journey by night, to travel at night. وَلَقَدْ أَوْحِيْنَا إِلَىٰ مُوسَىٰ Asri bi Ibadi Laylan. To secretly travel by night. Al Isra, so that was the journey by night from Makkah to Jerusalem, Al Masjidul بَيْتُ Baytul Muqaddas. And secondly is wal-Mi'raj comes from عُرُوج which literally means to ascend. To go up to go upwards. And Al Mi'raj is the the ascension above the heavens. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted this honor, this distinction and this experience to the Prophet Wasallam. Now, this, it goes without saying, we're all familiar with al-isra wal-mi'raj, we've all heard something about it, we've at least heard the name of a, a name of it, or we know that something of this nature occurred. And maybe some of us have a lot more knowledge and understanding of it but suffice to say that al-Isra wal-Mi'raj is one of the most major experiences and one of the most major events landmark events of the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is a highlight reel every little thing is majorly significant and extremely important and that's why it's taken us you know 65 sessions or allah knows how many sessions it's been that's why it's taken us this many sessions even to get to this point but at the same time, even in the context of the life of Rasulullah ﷺ, in which every little detail is significant and profound, even within his life, the journey of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj is the most profound. One of the most profound events from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So, for those of you who have been attending or even listening uh, or watching the seerah lectures consistently, um, you know at this point that I've said this number of times, I offered this as a disclaimer but not as an apology, that I will go into as much detail as I possibly can. Of course, I have very limited you know, resources, limited knowledge and understanding. But to the best of my ability, I will go in as much detail as I can. Because the objective here is to take apart, to analyze, to study, and extract and take from every little detail of the life of the Prophet wasallam so that we know how to live our lives. That's the purpose. The purpose here is not to finish something. The purpose here is not to complete a timeline, a very nice and neat and tidy timeline. That 23 years of prophethood, 23 sessions. That's not the maqsad, that's not the purpose here. The purpose here is to take every little detail and learn what we can learn from it. And that's why some of the other major events, such as the migration to Abyssinia, the um, uh, the, the journey to Al-Ta'if, some of these events have lasted for three, four, even five sessions. And that's okay. The journey of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, I've been... Reading, studying, researching for a number of days now. And the biggest struggle that I've had is how to try to touch on all the things that are so important and beneficial and necessary in this, you know, profound event. And so at some level, I've been at at least been able to organize my thoughts. Again, I can't really say how many, if I, if I, Guessed it. I would say we will probably end up talking about the journey of Al Isra wal Mi'raj for at least maybe four or five sessions, uh, just to take each part of it and understand it thoroughly and learn from it. But I can, but I at least have some organization to my thoughts at this point. And the way that I'd like to organize it is first and foremost just go through the journey, almost like taking that journey along with the Prophet Sallallahu and then visiting the specific details and the specific lessons. Because if I kind of start by just talking about specific details, you won't have the context of the entire journey in front of you. So what I'm going to do today, and the reason why I'm explaining this is because somebody might feel like i glossed over something very profound or very important. You should talk about that, you should explain that. We can learn from that, we are going to come back to that. So don't get worried Inshallah. If I kind of go through the overall journey, we're going to come back and then take apart each detail and really learn from it. What do we learn from it? What can we implement it as a Muslim, as a mu'min, as a believer, as families, as a community, as a minority, etc., etc. There are so many profound lessons. So we'll come back and then take from it specifically. But I first want that everyone to at least have the full picture, the full scope in front of them, so that they can appreciate the details when we do zoom in on the details. So there are, one of the very interesting things is that when you read through the books of seerah, the books of hadith, and even actually some of the books of tafsir, because under the ayat of the, the beginning ayat, Subhanallah, the Asrabi abdihi Layla min al Masjid al Haram ila al Masjid al Aqsa al Ladi barakna houlahu li min ayatina, and then the beginning of Surah al Najm, al Najmi idha Hawa ma dala sahibukum wa ma gawa wa ma yantquu an al illa waqiyuha allamahu shadiq al Quwazu mera fustawa wa huwa bil Ufuk al A'la. Right? And from there on it goes forward. There are certain passages in the Quran, the beginning of Surah number 17, Surah Al-Isra, the beginning of Surah Al-Najm, the beginning, there are certain parts of the Quran which also, um, allude to and speak of the journey of al isra Al-Mi'raj. So, when you read in the books of Tafsir, when you look in the books of Hadith and then you read through the collection, The classical collection on Sira, the prophetic biography, what you find is something very interesting. There are dozens there are a dozen different narrations from a dozen different sahaba, radiallahu anhum, about the journey of Al Isra al Mi'raj. And they don't necessarily contradict. They don't contradict with each other whatsoever at all. Even to the beginner, even though to the beginner's eye, right, to the to the beginner student, the beginner talib al-ilm, if he was to kind of read through these narrations, there are just a couple of minor, you know, variations, but he would see, he or she would see just a little bit of maybe, you know, would have some questions, a little bit of conflict, a little bit of contradiction maybe, but very minor. But even those have very simple explanations behind them, once you have depth, in terms of understanding what the circumstances were. But, even though in the major details there's no contradiction, but something you find very interesting. The hadith of Aisha, radiallahu ta'ala, anha, will maybe tell you, will have certain details. The hadith of Abdullah bin Abbas, radiallahu ta'ala, anhuma, will have some other details, but won't speak of the details that Aisha, radiallahu anha, spoke of. The hadith of Ibn Mas'ud, which is one of the most detailed, might still not have a couple of pieces of the puzzle that you find in the narrations of Um Ummu etc, etc. So when you kind of look at all of it, it kind of brings a question to mind. Like why this type of variation? Where can you go to kind of find the complete, all the bits and the pieces of that narration and that story pieced together? Well, you have to understand that the riwayat of the sahaba were varied because what would maybe happen is that Abdullah bin Abbas and Aisha radiallahu anha and um, etc. etcetera the other sahaba maybe heard the narration of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. And so they only related what they did not hear within the story of Ibn Mas'ud. The way Ibn Mas'ud told the narration, then they said, wait, 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 but the Prophet told us a couple extra things that Abdullah bin Masud didn't mention. So then they would only mention those things. Laylata Usri Abi Rasulillahi sallallahu hadatha That on the night that the Prophet was taken on the journey of Al-Israw al miraj this happened, that happened, that happened. And they're only mentioning the three things that weren't found in the other narration. And then the other Sahabi is mentioning a couple of things that maybe struck a chord with him. That were maybe you know something that really he connected with or she felt, etc. So you find the different pieces of the puzzle in different narrations, all of them, Alhamdulillah, the majority of them or the ones that I've taken from are authentic in that regard. But there are some classical scholars of the sirah, um such as the author of Subulul Huda wa Rashad, who have basically taken all these pieces that are found in authentic Ariwayatul Sahihha in the authentic narrations, and pieced it all together to create a more flowing narrative of what exactly transpired on the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. And that's basically what we're going to be taking a look at today, insha'Allah. So it begins by mentioning that the Prophet of Allah sallam, the majority of the narrations mentioned بَيْنَمَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم عِنْدَ الْبَيْتِ فِي الْحِجْرِ The Prophet was in what's called the Hatim. Hijr Ismail. The Hatim. That part of the Kaaba. So you have the Kaaba, but that circle, that half circle, that is on one side of the Kaaba, when we do tawaf we go around it. But it is, people try to go and it's recommended to try to go and pray inside of it. That area... The Prophet of Allah ﷺ would oftentimes, sometimes late at night, when he would be at the Haram, when he would be at the Kaaba, he would go and lay, lie down within that area. He would lie down within that area and just kind of lie down, relax, and just maybe think. And just kind of ponder certain things, reflect on certain things. This was the habit of the Prophet ﷺ. And so the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was there, إِذْ أَتَاهُ جِبْرِيلُ wa maahuma مَلَكٌ آخَرٌ fa qala fa qala awwaluhum ayyuhum fa qala awsatuhum huwa khayruhum yarahum hatta laylatan ukhra saw jibril alayhis salam and mika'il alayhi salam came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam with them with, was a third angel and they basically came and they just kind of looked at the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they said this is the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam they pointed him out to that third angel and then they went and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam didn't see them again until the next night هو هو then again they came back, the Prophet صلى الله عليه was there on the second night. They again kind of had a conversation about the Prophet صلى الله عليه standing near the Prophet صلى الله عليه that this is it, he is the leader of his people, that's him, that's him. And then they went again. Then they came back the third night and again pointed out to the Prophet صلى الله عليه And now, and in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ actually mentions that he was lying there with his eyes closed. He was lying there with his eyes closed. And when they came, Jibreel ﷺ actually kind of nudged the Prophet ﷺ just a little bit. So he opened his eyes and he sat up and he saw them and they saw him and then they left. And then the second night they came again and he nudged him again. And he sat up and they looked at one another and then they left. And then the third night they came and again they nudged him and he sat up again. But now something changed. فَاَحْتَمَلُوهُ حَتَّى جَاءُوا بِهِ زَمْزَمٍ عَلَىٰ فَتَوَلَّاهُ مِنْهُمْ جِبْرِيلٍ What happened now was that they t- told the Prophet ﷺ, they came and they brought him and they laid him down at a specific place. And so this is the, where the difference in narration starts to occur. One of the narrations mentions that the Prophet of Allah was not at the haram, but he was rather at home, or in the home of Ummu Which him saying that he was in home, or in the home of Ummu is the same thing. Well, we would say potato pataro, because Ummu was a family member of the Prophet So being in her home was like being in his home, that they, they had that concept, that idea of family and he actually says he says furi ja saqfu bayti fa nazal jibril fa shaq min thughrati nahrihi ila asfal batnihi thumma qala jibril li mika'il itini bi tast min ma'i zamzam kama keima kayma kalbahu wa wa أشرح صدره فاستخرج قلبه فغسله ثلاث مرات ونزع ما كان فيه من أذى واختلف إليه a بثلاث for من ماء زمزم ثم أتى بحكمة وإيمان فأفرغه في صدره وملأه حلما وعلمًا ويقينًا وإسلامًا ثم أتبقه ثم ختم بينك بخاتم النبوة ثم أتي بالبراق مسرجا ملجما. So the the second narration specifically mentions that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says I was at home, which could be very easily the home of a Muhani, and then the roof of the home literally opened. And Jibreel alayhi salam and Mika'il alayhi salam came down through the roof of the home. But at the same time, a lot of the narrations mention that he was at the haram. So how do you kind of reconcile some of these narrations? So the reconciliation is very simple. Some of the classical scholars actually said, Um Hani, her house, was literally neighboring the Ka'aba. She lived in what today probably is the area of Tawaf. That's how close she lived to the Kaaba. So she lived so close to the Kaaba that being in her home was practically being in the haram. It was being in the haram, the hudud of the haram. Secondly, this narration makes it very clear that the Prophet ﷺ was lying down near the Kaaba in the Hatim, the hijr of Ismail. That's why every night they would come and they would kind of nudge him awake, they would nudge him awake, they would nudge him awake. And on the third night it mentions, Fahtamaluhu. They carried him, they brought him. Which means they must have brought him home. Because now they were able that now they were about to carry out a very sensitive procedure and they needed to have him in a more private area, a safe place. And so they brought him to the home. So that's another method of reconciliation. And so they bring him to the home. And at this point in time, Jibreel Alayhi tells Mikael. So then it says, Fa مِن ثُغْرَةِ نَحْرِهِ بَطْنِهِ Jibreel alayhi took his finger. As had had occurred, you know, twice before in his life. Once as a child when he was in the care of Halima, and there's a second incident which is mentioned maybe at the time, you know, shortly before he actually received the Nubuwa, the prophethood. So this is the third instance, according to some of the scholars of Seerah. Some say this is the second instance. Jibreel literally took his finger and drew, basically like you would trace a line from his chest down to basically like the belly button. He drew a line with his finger, but this is Jibreel salam so it's not an ordinary finger. So when he drew the line in this way, what that basically did was that split the Prophet ﷺ open. He split him open, he opened him up. And then he told Mikael Bring to me a tray, like a dish, like a bowl, with the water of zamzam in it. And Mikail brings this, and he says, so that I may wash, cleanse his heart, and you know, kind of open up his chest, alleviate the pressure from his chest. Remember the Prophet sallallahu has been 12 of the most brutal years that any human being has ever lived. So you see the very practical purpose and the benefit of this. And فَاسْتَخْرَجَ He took his heart out of his chest. فَغَسَلَهُ ثَلَاثَ And he washed it three times. وَالنَّزَعَ He removed all the pain and the hurt that was there in the heart of the Prophet ﷺ. And it actually mentions that each for each of the three washings, Mikail ﷺ would hand Jibreel a separate clean bowl. And he washed it in all three bowls. Thumma uthi min Then there was a bowl, there was a container, a dish that was made out of gold, mumtaliun, hikmatan wa and it was full of hikmah and iman. What that must have looked like, Allah knows best. But it was a bowl full of hikmah, wisdom, and faith, iman, conviction. And fi And it says that jibril he put the heart of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam back in his chest and then he took that bowl that was full of hikmah, wisdom and iman and he poured it into the chest of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa malaahu he filled it with with forbearance the ability to endure and understand the purpose of things wa knowledge understanding wa and conviction and strength fortitude islaman subge- and, and submissiveness before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He filled his chest up with it. ثُمَّ أتبقه, Then he basically closed it. ثُمَّ خطت, So he sealed his chest back up. And actually it's mentioned that there was a very fine scar on the actual chest of the Prophet ﷺ where you could see where that line had been drawn. ثُمَّ خَتَمَ بَيْنَ بِخَاتِمِ النُّبُوَّةِ then he placed the mark of the seal of prophethood on the back of the Prophet ﷺ between his shoulder blades. Between his shoulder blades, he placed the, the seal of prophethood, the mark of prophethood on his back. And it said it's something that was already there. So at this point in time, maybe it, was, it became more pronounced. It was more visible. Now what ended up happening was, they brought... The Buraq. Now, what is the Burak? The Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So they brought this animal to the door. They brought this animal to the door. And actually it's mentioned that this animal was brought near the door of the Kaaba, near the door of Baytullah. And the Prophet went there. And he himself describes what this animal was like. He says, Wahu Adabatun Abiyat. It was a four-legged animal, it was a quadruped. It was a four-legged animal, and it was white. Tawilun. It was very long, like it was a big animal. And then the Prophet says, "Fulq himar It was larger than a donkey. Dun al However, it was a little less than a mule. A mule, which is basically um, the the crossbreeding of a horse and a donkey There's another word for it That I'm not gonna say in the masjid But um, a mule Which is a the breeding And uh, when you breed a horse and a donkey together It's a larger size Where it has somewhat physical resemblance To a horse But it has more of the demeanor Of the donkey So that's like a mule. And so the Prophet ﷺ is saying that it wasn't quite the size of a horse, but it was larger than a donkey. And that's very interesting. The reason, the wisdom in that is that the horse has obviously that, you know, the the physical prowess and even the intelligence that a horse has. However, there's a thing, a horse isn't a very comfortable ride. A horse isn't a very comfortable ride. It's actually quite fatiguing to ride a horse. But that's why for more casual travel, and especially a lot of times for even elderly folks and things like that, even at that time, a donkey was considered the best form of transportation because it was very, it was very comfortable to ride. It's very calm. It's very easy. It's, it's more, it's more comfort, more luxury than it is speed or power. So a horse is a Corvette and the donkey was like riding in you know a mercedes so that's what it was and so the the fact that this this animal was a little bit bigger than the donkey meant that it had obviously that power that strength that speed but the fact that it was less than a horse signifies the fact that it was still a very comfortable ride yadahu hafiruhu عِنْدَ muntaha tarfihi what was the nature of this animal? As soon as the Prophet ﷺ basically sat on this animal, and this animal took its very first step, the Prophet ﷺ realized something mind-blowing. He says, يَضَعُوا حَافِرَهُ عِنْدَ muntaha That the place where this animal would place its hoof, like, so you know when you sit on an animal and it takes its first step, it places its hoof on the ground. The Prophet ﷺ said that when it would place its hoof, it would place its hoof as far as the eye could see. That was one step. I mean, I, I always try to say this and it's kind of difficult because, you know, a lot of times these days with, whether it be, you know, um, you know, visual effects, Whether it be from video games or movies or whatever, uh, the case may be. It's obviously got a lot of, you know, negative effects that it has in terms of attention span and how we use our time and how we utilize our time and things people are exposed to a lot of times. However, I feel like there's, maybe it's the only benefit, but there is a very, very interesting benefit to sometimes us being, you know, in a time where we have these types of visual effects and stuff. It can actually, it can give us a little bit, not even, not, not very close, but it can still give us somewhat of an idea of what this maybe is referring to. So you know when you, when, when you, like, maybe almost like super speed or hyper drive or whatever they do in Star Trek? You know when the, when the, when the ship just basically goes into hyper drive and it just takes off and just becomes a blur like it's here, now it's gone? That's how the Barak moved. That's how the Barak moved. And so the very first step it took it went as far as the eye could see. So you were here now and next thing you know you were maybe 30 miles away. Just boom in one step in a split second. That's how far you were. So the Prophet ﷺ talks about this. Mutaribal uzunain itha ata'ala jabalin it irtafa'at rijlahu wa itha habata irtafa'at yadahu lahu janahan fi fakhidhayhi yakhfizu bihima rijlaihi. The Prophet of Allah explains a little bit more about the animal that the Prophet says that as it's moving so quickly, now obviously there's a there's there's different terrain that it's passing through as it moves so quickly. So the Prophet when he came, said when he came upon upon a mountain, it's almost like it's it felt like its legs would get longer so that it could go over the mountain and when it started going back towards a decline, it's like its front legs would get longer. And then the Prophet ﷺ says that this animal, this horse-looking type of animal, actually had wings that were based on like the hips of the animal. It had wings there that allowed it to basically push up with its feet and become airborne. It would actually fly. And then there are some weaker narrations which describe a little bit more about just how the animal actually looked. And there, there, these are weaker narrations, but it basically mentions about the fact that its horse, its head and its legs were, its head was more like that of a horse and its face as well, while its legs resembled that more of a camel. And it had the tail, a smaller tail, like maybe like a cow would have a tail. But nevertheless, these are weaker narrations, one that aren't very relevant or important in this case. And so now the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu is traveling on this buraq at the speed of light, and Jibril Alaihi Sallam is riding along with the Prophet Sallallahu by his side. This, of course, is Jibril Alaihi Sallam. He travels at the same speed, so he's traveling along by the side of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi And this is where it gets very interesting. So. It mentions that Jibreel alayhi salam, oh, it mentions Jibreel alayhi salam, وَجِبْرِيلٌ عَنْ wa Mikail عَنْ يَسَارِهِ Jibreel alayhi is on the right and Mikail is on the left. So the Prophet ﷺ has like an official escort on both sides. He's being flanked on both sides as he's traveling. Fasaru حَتَى بَلَغُوا أَرْضًا ذات So they kept going until they finally reached a place that had a lot of palm trees, like date palms. فَقَالَ لَهُ جِبْرِيلَ أَنزِلْ فَصَلِّي هَا هُنَا Jibreel said, stop and get down off the buraq and please perform prayer here. Pray two raka'at. Just mark this place with prayer. O Messenger of Allah. So the prophet, ففعلَ the prophet صلى الله عليه did that ثم ركِبَ then he got back onto the barak and they started going and جبريل عليه asked him now أتدري أين سلَيتَ يا رسول الله do you know where you just prayed, O messenger of Allah? and the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said لا قال سلَيتَ بطيبة, بِطَيْبَةٍ وإليها المهاجر he said you you just prayed in a very blessed, beautiful place and it is the place where you will migrate to. So the place of Medina, Al madinatul tul it was marked on the night of Al Isra al Mi'raj that when they left Makkah, they stopped, they made a stop in the city of Medina, which was Yathrib at that time. They stopped and they, they stopped there and Jibril Alay asked the Prophet to pray to rakahs there to kind of initiate and inaugurate the place of Medina, the blessed the illuminated city of Medina. And then when they got back on then he informed the Prophet Sallallahu Abitaibatin wa ilayha al Muhajir. فانطلق البراق يهوي به يضع حافله حيث أدرك طرفه فقال جبريل أنزل فصلي then again, the they kept going in Fasali. So they reached another point where Jibreel a.s. says to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam please descend off of Burak here and pray here as well. ففعل ثم rakب Again he prayed and then he got back onto Burak. And Jibreel a.s. again asked him, فقال جِبْرِيلَ تَدْرِيْنَ صَلَّيْتَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Do you know where you now prayed, where you offered your salah, O Messenger of Allah? فقال لا, قال صليت بِمَدِينَ عند شجرة موسى. You play, You just prayed, you performed salah at the place of Madian under the same tree that Musa alayhi salam sat under the shade of when he left, when he ran away from Misr and took refuge in the place of Madian. Where he made du'a to Allah. Inni lima أَنزَلْتَ إِلَيَّ مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَقِيرٍ O oh Allah, I need whatever it is that you give to me. Whatever you provide, O oh Allah, I know I need it. I'll take anything. I need it, Ya Allah. You prayed at that same place. Then they again move forward. And again Jibreel tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, please O Messenger of Allah, again perform prayer here. ففعل فقال قال لأ قال كلم الله موسى. You, And again he descended at a place and he prayed. And then again he asks him, do you know where you prayed? And he said, no. He said you prayed at طورسين. You play you just performed salah at the place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to speak directly to Musa alayhi salam. Where Musa alayhi salam went Mount Sinai where Musa alayhi salam went to go converse with Allah. Musa Taklima literally spoke to to Musa alayhi salam. Allah did. You just prayed at that place. Then they reached a place and they could start to see some large homes like palaces at this place and again jibril alihissalam <laughs> says please descend and pray here abdullah abdullah again the the jibril <laughs> says to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam please descend and pray here and the prophet of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam again he descended and he prayed at that place and again he asks him do you know where you just prayed o messenger of allah and he says no he says Saleita. Sa layta bi bayti bi bayti Lahmayn haythu Isa alayhi salam you just prayed at the place that is that we call in english Bethlehem you just prayed at Bethlehem where Isa Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam was born where Maryam salamun alayha gave birth to Isa alayhi salam miraculously you just prayed at that place وَبَيْنَمَا هُوَ يَسِيرُ عَلَى الْبُرَاقِ إِذْ رَآى عِفْرِيتًا مِّنَ الْجِنِّ Now the story goes on forward from there. As the Prophet wasallam is moving, traveling at the speed of light on his buraq, occasionally whether buraq slowed up some or Allah just gave him the ability to see things on that journey, on that trip, the Prophet of wasallam saw a group of the jinn. And not just a group of the jinn, but he saw a very powerful jinn. يَطْلُبُهُ بِشُعْلَةٍ مِّن نار. كُلَّمَا That he keeps trying to find, um you know, basically he keeps trying to find a piece of the fire, he keeps trying to take from the fire this jinn. And every time he turns around, he sees it and he goes back to it and he's not able to take some of the fire. And then he turns around, he goes, looks back and then again he goes back to it, but he's not able to take it. أَلَا أُعَلِّمُكَ كَلِمَاتٍ تَقُولُهُنْ alayhi salam says, shall I not tell you some words that You can say them. And then Jibreel said that if you say these words, then this fire that this jinn keeps seeking out will extinguish and this will stop. فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بلاه سراب فقال جبريل قل أعوذ بوجه الله الكريم وبكلمات الله التامات التي لا يجاوزهن بر ولا فاجر من شر ما ينزل من السماء ومن شر ما يعرج فيها ومن شر ما ذرأ في الأرض ومن شر ما يخرج منها ومن شر فتن الليل والنهار ومن طوارق الليل والنهار إلا طارق يطرق بخير يَا رحمن لفيه وانطفأت شعلته And so he taught the Prophet these words. He says, O oh Messenger of Allah, if you say these words, what this jinn, this was a very evil, powerful jinn. And what this jinn was doing was, he saw a fire burning And he would keep going and trying to get it, but he wasn't able to get it. And every time he moved away from it, then he would look back and he would see the fire then again. And he would keep trying to go and get it. This was symbolic of a jinn basically trying to go and do something evil. This was symbolic of the fact that a jinn was trying to do something evil. And so Ali a.s. tells the Prophet sallallahu wasallam Let me teach you something, O Messenger of Allah, that if you say this, it will extinguish that fire, meaning what? It'll take that fuel away from those jinn it will prevent them from creating trouble, from wreaking havoc, from making problems. And then he taught him this, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ الْكَرِيمِ That say, I take refuge with the face of Allah that is most noble. وَبِكَلِمَاتِ And with the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the complete, powerful words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that nothing can transgress them nothing can outlast them nothing no one not a good person or a bad person can supersede the words of allah Min sharima yanzilu I take refuge with Allah from the evil that could come down from the sky, from the evil that rises up into the sky, from the evil of that which spreads onto the earth, from the evil of that which comes out of the earth, from the evil of the test of the night and the day, and from those things that attack or you know move at night or during the day except for something that comes with khayr, O oh Allah, Ya Rahman, O oh the Most Merciful. And he taught him this, and no sooner did the Prophet ﷺ actually say this, repeat this after Jibreel ﷺ, then he saw that that fire, that that jinn was chasing after, it extinguished, it was put out. So it took that out of the hands of that jinn. Fasaru Then they moved on forward until they saw a people who would you know they would they would basically sow the seeds and, you know, kind of uh, turn the soil and work in the soil one day. And then they would go and harvest the next day. As soon as they would go and harvest, then the crop would return back to the way that it was originally. فَقَالْ يَا جِبْرِيلْ مَا This will be a very common theme on this journey. They, the Prophet وسلم saw a number of things and he would keep saying, يَا جِبْرِيلْ مَا هَذَا يَا جِبْرِيلْ مَا هَذَا And Jibreel tells the Prophet what this represents. These were symbolic of very profound spiritual realities. He says, يَا جِبْرِيلِ مَا هَذَا قَالَ هَاُولَاءِ الْمُجَاهِدُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ تَضَاعَفُوا لَهُمُ الْحَسَنَاتِ بِسَبْعُمِيَاتَ ضِعْفٍ وَمَا أَنْفَقُوا مِن شَيْءٍ فَهُوَ يُخْلِفُهُ He says, O Messenger of Allah, these are those people who strive and struggle in the path of Allah. That their good deeds are multiplied by 700 times. Whatever they spend... Whenever they spend, whatever they spend, no matter how small and insignificant it may be, then they it is returned back to them many, many, many fold. And that's why, if you think about the symbolism now, think about the symbolism. These are farmers who are sowing seeds one day, and they're able to harvest their crop the next day. That's not normal. Normally, you sow the seeds, you turn the soil, you sow the seeds. You water it, you patch everything up, and then when do you harvest? Six months? Seven months? Eight months? Later? It's months later that you harvest. But these farmers, they plant one day, they harvest the next day, they plant one day, they harvest the next day. Immediate turnover. Quick turnover. Which in business terms is the best, you know, way to do business possible. A quick immediate turnover. And that too. Normally, why don't why what what would be the only reason somebody doesn't go for a quick turnover? Somebody goes for a more long-term investment because they're hoping for a bigger investment. A quick turnover usually is a more minimal turnover. So you want a quick turnover, you make a couple hundred bucks. You're willing to sit on it for a couple of years? You make you know 10,000 bucks. You're willing to sit on it for 30 years? You make 6 7 figures. So that's the incentive. But what's going on with them is it's a quick turnover, but it's a huge turnover. A significant, 700 times the Prophet. In the span of one day, 24 hours. And he says that these are people who strive and struggle in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is very beautiful. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he found an extremely fragrant, beautiful breeze. An extremely fragrant, beautiful breeze. Unlike anything he had ever, you know, experienced before. فَقَالَ يا جبريل ما What is this unbelievable, beautiful scent, this fragrance, this breeze? What is this? Where is this coming from? فَقَالَ هَذِهِ بْنِتِ فرعون This is the scent, the fragrance coming from the woman who used to comb the hair of the daughter of Fir'aun, her and her children. The woman that used to comb, brush, the hair of the daughter of Fir'aun, her, that woman, and her children, this is their fragrance, this is their scent. And then he tells the Prophet ﷺ, بَيْنَمَا هِيَ إذ سقط One day she was brushing the hair of the daughter of Fir'aun, and she dropped the brush. It fell out of her hand. فَقَالَتْ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ فَقَالَتْ بسم الله تعيس فرعون So when she went to go pick up the brush, she says, "Bismillah," and may Fir'aun be cursed. So فَقَالَتْ ابْنَةُ فِرْعَوْنَ. The daughter of Fir'aun said, "أولَكِ أَوَلَكِ رَبّ غَيْرَ أَبِي؟" You have a lord other than my father. You have a master that you worship other than my father. قَالَتْ نَعَمْ رَبِّي وَرَبُّ كِلَّهِ Yes, my Lord and your Lord is Allah. In one narration she actually says, رَبِّي وَرَبُّ أَبِيكِ Allah My Lord and the Lord and the Master of your Father is Allah. وَكَانَ لِلْمَرْأَةِ إِبْنَانَ وَزَوْجٌ فَأَرْسَلَ إِلَيْهِمْ فَرَاوَدَ الْمَرْأَى وَزَوْجُهَا أَنْ يَرْجِعَا عَنْ دِينِهِمَا So this woman basically, the more extended narration actually mentions that the daughter of Fir'aun said, I'm gonna tell my dad what you said. And she said, go tell him if that's what you wanna do. You do what you gotta do. I'll do what I gotta do. And so she was married, she had a husband and she had two sons. And so once the word got to Fir'aun, he basically called all of them and gave them the chance, especially the two parents, the two other kids were small. Basically the the wife, this this woman that used to brush her hair and her husband, gave them the opportunity, to leave this religion now and come back to worshiping Fir'aun or else. فَقَالَ إني, قاتل... إِنِّي قَاتِلُكُمَا Because I will kill the both of you. فَقَالَ إِحْسَانًا مِنْكَ إِنْ قَتَلْتَنَا أن فِي بَيْتٍ وَفِي قَالَتْ إِنَّ لِي إِلَيْكَ حاجة. قَالَ مَا هي؟ قَالَ تَجْمَعُ عِظَامِي وَعِظَامَ وَلَدِي فَتُدَفِّنُنَا جَمِيعًا قَالَ ذَلِكَ لَكِ بِمَا لَكِ عَلَيْنَا مِنَ الْحَقُ So it mentions that he tells this woman, I will kill both of you and your children, I'll kill your whole family. And she says, you know, that's fine, if you got to kill us and you kill us, I just have one favor to ask. He said, what is that? She said that when you do kill us, you at least bury our bodies in the ground. Just bury us, because that's what our dean wants, what it requires from us. He said, okay, that much we owe you. You're a human being, I guess you've kind of been around the family for a while, we owe you that much. I'll make sure that you're buried, but that's about it. Then بِنُقْرَةٍ مِّنْ نُحَاسٍ فَأُحْمِيَ ثُمَّ أُمِرَ, ثم أمر بِهَا فِيهَا هي وأولادها فَأُلْقُوا وَاحِدًا وَاحِدًا حتى أَصْغَرَ رَضِيعٍ فِيهِمْ He basically had like a pit. He had a pit that had, you know, you can imagine maybe like oil uh, or or something of that nature. Like steel and metal and oil. He had that heated up until it became liquid. Boiling hot. And then he ordered for them to be brought. And he started with the mother. And he had her thrown in there, put in there. Burned alive, melted alive. And then he did that same thing with her husband. Then he did the same thing with their children. So much so that they had a child that was still nursing. A baby. Until they put the baby in there as well. And they killed all of them. فَقَالَ يَا أُمَّهَ قَعِي وَلَا تُقَاعِسِي فإنك عَلَى الْحَقِّ قَالَ وَتَكَلَّمْ أَرْبَعَةٌ فِي المهدي وَهُمْ صِغَارِ هَذَا وَشَاهِدُ يُوسُفْ وَصَاحِبُ جُرَيْجِ وعيسى بْنُ مَرْيَمَ عليه, عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ And one of the narrations actually even mentions that when that small little baby when finally the soldiers of Fir'aun took that baby and were about to put that baby into the fire, that baby spoke and he said, Oh mother, oh my family, don't stop, don't back away from this, but embrace this opportunity because we are upon the Haq. And then this is mentioned within the narration that this is one of the four children that spoke miraculously even as an infant. This child, the witness of Yusuf a.s., the companion of Juraj, and then finally... Isa salam So these are some of the stops along the journey of al-Isra that the Prophet s.a.w. took and some of the things he saw and he experienced. I'm gonna go ahead and stop here because it's time for Salat al-Isha. Next week we'll continue on the journey from here and there are some very, very amazing things the Prophet ﷺ witnessed along the journey. And inshallah, hopefully in the next session, we're able to conclude the journey. And then we'll start taking the lessons and the, the, the reflections from the journey of al-Isra al miraj May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanaka bihamdik, na la ilaha illa anta, nastaaghfiruku wa natubu ilayk